Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. Today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Sashenka Milston to Life Beyond the Numbers. You're so welcome, Sashenka. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight. Good. I'm glad to hear it. So we are both in Oxford, which is unusual. I don't talk to many that, that many people in Oxford, but you're not originally from Oxford, are you? No, indeed. I'm from far, far away from Australia. I've been in Oxford for about 11, 12 years. Yeah, about that. 12 years. Cool. Wow. Time goes so fast. It does, doesn't it? And we met not in Oxford as such, but we met virtually on a writing workshop. And we just discovered that we were both in Oxford and then we got together in person after the workshop finished. So that's kind of cool. You never know who you're going to meet. Exactly. You can meet people from all over the world on those online workshops, but you might find someone in your backyard. Like we did. (laughs) (laughs) So Sashenka, one of your tweets, which I really, really loved was, it's not how much free time you have. It's what you do with that that determines your happiness. Happiness is enjoying the journey. So will you elaborate a bit more on that for us? Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy chaotic time. Well, I don't know. It probably always has been, but it seems more so even now. And people are just, you know, got their families, children, work lives, trying to hold things together, the uncertainty of the world, and everything is so crazy. And people rarely have time just to relax and do the things they love. And there was this really interesting research done where they found it's not actually how much time you have, it's what you do with it that matters to your happiness, that actually impacts on your happiness. So what you actually find is that if you have a minimum, I think it was two hours, they said a minimum of two hours personal time. If you have less than that to yourself, you are too stressed, you're too overwhelmed. But if you have a minimum of two hours, that's enough to get up to happiness. If you have more than that, 
it doesn't make a difference to your happiness how much time you have beyond the two hours makes no difference if you have two hours or five hours. But what they found is that people who are just doing passive activities, sitting watching TV, we all like to just collapse at the end of the day and binge watch whatever our favorite series is at the moment. And that's great when you need to decompress from stress, but it's not going to actually make you happier. Wow. And it's this two hours though, Sash, is it a daily or weekly or monthly? Where would I measure these two hours? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> I have the answer, but it's not in my head right now. I'm fairly sure it was per day, to be honest. Wow, because it's that daily. makes me feel stressed. I can feel myself almost tense up at the thought of taking two hours out of my day for myself to do stuff that brings me joy. And that sounds really sad in one way. And I get that. But maybe at the weekend, I might spend more time or mm -hmm. on a day that I might have just more available time. But like before we started recording, I went out for a walk for 50 minutes. And that was just purely time for me. And I know it boosted my my everything. But two hours would have been too much out of my day. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. People think I just can't find two hours in a day. I just don't have that time. And there are some people who genuinely don't. The people who have like three young kids at home, all under the age of five, for example, you know, where, where is the time? That gets very, very challenging. And that's where people need to start thinking about creative solutions to this. But the average person, we think we don't have time, but actually we do. If you think about how much time you spend watching TV, how much time you spend on your phone, checking Facebook or Twitter or whatever app you're using, all of those things actually suck up a lot more time than we realize. Um, so you can find the time if you think carefully. Some people actually keep a time diary for their days and actually log where they're spending their time. And it really helps you to actually discover where you are losing time and where you can find pockets of time. And is there a specific way to spend that time then, Sash? If it's with friends, is that me time? Well, it's probably not me time, but maybe it is because maybe I'm re-energized by being with others. Is it meal time? Is it sports time? Is it meditation time? How do I spend that time? The way they distinguish between the time you spend is passive time versus personally enriching activities. So the passive time doesn't give you any benefits. You're lacking purpose. You're less productive. You're not doing anything. And that's like watching TV or doom scrolling on the phone. It's the personally enriching activities uh, that counts. So that is your hobbies. That's going out for your walk. That is socially connecting with people not just messaging back and forth, text messaging, but actually connecting, seeing them and talking with them, having conversations like that. So that definitely all adds into it. Okay, well, then that makes a difference to me already, because even just doing this, then having these conversations, I find personally enriching. So now I can look at it in a different way, actually. And it's not just about nothing time almost it's about doing things that bring me joy and trying to get that two hours a day but what's interesting as well you said about decompression and watching tv sometimes I read you should never watch television forget about it it's so bad for you but I like what you say about decompressing so there's a difference there between just binge watching and decompressing absolutely yeah if you're just binge watching you're not really 
accomplishing anything. Whereas when you are actually under some serious stress, you might say, okay, right now, I just need half an hour to switch off my brain and decompress. And that is valuable to actually sit there and just absorb yourself in a show, like one episode of something. Yeah. 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 And what I find is oftentimes subtitles make it even better because I have to really focus on what's happening on the TV as opposed to just sitting there. There's something active about watching subtitles as well or a foreign mm-hmm. language. Yeah, foreign language films are great for that. You can sit there and watch the subtitles and really be drawn into it. And by listening to the native language of the movie, you actually get drawn in more than listening to it dubbed. That's a really good thing to do, actually. And it also stops my brain from thinking about anything else because I have to focus on what's happening to keep up with everything because obviously I can't understand it. Yeah, it's a great way to switch off things. My husband used to fly lightweight aircraft. He had a plane and he used to say that actually it's the best way to switch off from all of his work was to just go up there and fly because you're just focusing purely on all the controls and the sky around you, the clouds, everything. You're not thinking about anything else in the world. It's a great way when you have to focus on something to just switch off from everything else yeah that's kind of cool isn't it wow going flying is a whole other world so yeah (laughs) most of us probably can't do that or don't get to do that but that sounds pretty cool no but we can watch foreign language films we can do that can't we or whatever brings (laughs) us joy whatever we can focus on i guess baking and things like Mm. that as well or cooking there are other ways aren't they that's the thing You've heard the term flow? Of course, yes. Flow is is exactly this, where you just lose yourself in the activity and it's whatever you're passionate about. It might be baking, as you just said. Some people find playing music, they lose themselves. When you actually just lose yourself in it because you're so passionate about it and you forget about time, time just goes, you have no concept of it. Mm. And that's the best thing you can do to, to switch off from the rest of the world. Get into that state of flow by doing things you're passionate about. So then reading would be another one for me anyway, at least for me, I should say. Yeah, Yeah. because I can get lost in a book and time just disappears. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Reading is one of those things I love doing and I always complain I don't have enough time to do it. And then I say to myself, "Uh -uh, it's not how much time you have, it's how you spend it. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll sit and just carve out like even just 15 minutes just to sit and read a chapter of my book and I'm happy. Yeah. And speaking of books, you have written a book on happiness. I have. Yes. I co-authored a book on happiness. It's called Happiness Through Goal Setting. And it's essentially a practical guide to reflect on and change the reasons why you actually pursue your most important goals in life. Everyone's got goals that they're pursuing, whether it's to lose weight or to make a million dollars or whatever your goal in life is. And if you think about your most important goals, it doesn't matter what the goals are. It matters why you're doing them, the reasons behind them. Like it the makes motivation. all the difference to your happiness. The motivation. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, What's your motivation behind? Do you have an example? If somebody, like you used losing weight or making a million dollars, how do you tune into why you want to do it? First of all, let me just point out one thing. People have this mistaken belief And it's a common misbelief. We believe that if we work hard, we'll be successful and then that will make us happy, right? It's like the common thing. I accomplished that, I will be happy. 
I just need to accomplish that and I'll be happy. It doesn't actually work that way. It's backwards. Happiness is the journey. We mentioned this before. Happiness is enjoying that journey, carving out that 15 minutes of pleasure. Happiness actually then increases our performance and our achievement and makes it easier to achieve success. So this is a one way of doing that, this looking at the reasons behind your goals. And we actually go through four main possible reasons that you might have for accomplishing your goals. And I'll just quickly outline them if that's all right. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, there are yeah. two positive reasons and there are two negative reasons. Okay. So the two positive reasons are pleasure and altruism. Doing things for pleasure because they bring you joy. We've already actually discussed a lot of this already now. And then altruism, doing things for other people to make the world a better place. Both of those things actually makes us happy. Common sense, right? And then there are two reasons that are negative and actually not contributing to our happiness that we might be pursuing goals for. And one is self-esteem. We're doing something to prove something to ourselves or we're doing something to prove something about ourselves to other people. And there's a fear of failure there. And the other one is necessity. We're doing things because we have to. We have to have that income to earn, you know, to afford the mortgage, that sort of thing. That necessity drives us and, and it's miserable. It, it makes us feel like we're caught in a trap on that treadmill, right? So there are a few different things you can do to try and change your reasons from the negative ones to the positive ones. Um, and if you think about this, you've got the two positive ones are approach. You're approaching things. You're approaching a positive outcome. Whereas the two negative ones are avoidance goals. You're trying to avoid a negative outcome. Loads and loads of research has shown that approach motivations lead to high levels of happiness and avoidance motivations lead to lower levels of happiness. So the whole thing is we want to try and switch our thinking over, our reasoning from those negative ones to the positive ones, from the avoidance to the approaching. That's fascinating. And I guess the example you used about working to have to pay the mortgage, right? So I'm listening to this episode now and the two of us talking about, oh, if you need to be happy, just reframe the necessity or switch your thinking from necessity to pleasure or altruism. Is it that simple? It's not that simple, but you can do it. So, for example, if you're talking about switching your thinking, there's this classic example of the stonemasons, right? Two stonemasons. The first one gets asked, what are you doing? He says, I'm cutting stones. The second one is asked, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping to build a cathedral, right? Taking yourself outside of your immediate world and looking at the bigger picture and thinking about your impact, it helps bring in that altruism factor, Right? Thinking about how is this going to benefit other people? How is this going to be making the people around me, making their lives better or making the world a better place? That helps switch from necessity to altruism. And that makes total sense. And it reminds me of NASA. There's an example of NASA as well, where I can't remember who visited I think it might have been John F. Kennedy when he meets a janitor and he says to the janitor, what do you do here? And the janitor says, I help put rockets on the moon. Exactly. And, you know, he didn't talk about cleaning floors or anything like that, but he was part of everything else. And yet I think yeah. for a lot of us in workplaces, do we have that vision? Do we have that feeling of being part of something greater or are we doing it just to pay the bills? Mm-hmm. 
it's a it's a big thing. Most people are doing it just to pay the bills. They don't think about that big picture. For example, a doorman opening doors for people. Open the door, close the door. Open the door, close the door. My life is so boring. I can't wait till I get out of here. What time's my break? Whereas they could be thinking, okay, every person who comes that through that door, I'm the first impression they get of this place that they're coming into. And whether they're having a good day or a bad day, I can make their day better, depending on how I greet them. And they can make it a personal mission to make whoever's coming through those doors to make them smile, for example. Just to put a smile on someone's face is such a joyous thing. And as you say that, I think about airport security. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Miserable. Everyone is miserable going through airport security. I've traveled so much over the years and I have encountered people who have been happy in those jobs. And it makes such a difference to walk through airport security. Yes, of course, there is a security concern, but it makes such a difference when someone greets you with a smile and treats you like a human and doesn't bark at you or make you feel like you've done something wrong. And yeah. And that reminds me, actually, I remember doing design thinking and we were asked to think about how might we redesign airport security to be like queuing at Disney. Now, if you've never been to Disney, when you get into the queue at Disney, they are just there to entertain you. And then that reminds me, actually, of the Olympics in Sydney, because I was there at the Olympics in Sydney. And, you know, you would dream out of the stadium at night, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people waiting to get on public transport. And the Australians just entertained us so that there was no crowd pushing, no angst and consternation. And Mm. it's so simple, actually, what you're saying to reframe things. Yeah. But. But most people don't think of it. It's not something that that comes naturally. When we're just thinking about our daily grind, we get lost in our little narrow ruts that we're in, unfortunately. And that's when misery sets in. And where does it start from? I mean, does this start in the school ground, do you think? Does it start or in the school, school, in the classroom where perhaps we're competing against one another for grades or something? Because in a way, our natural state is probably more pleasure and altruism, certainly as kids. And we learn this fear of failure along the way and we learn this necessity. This is something that is absolutely learned in the school system. Pass or fail tests, it's black and white. This failure thing, actually that you've just hit on the other one, the self-esteem reason for goal striving. It's a lot of it is hit by this fear of failure and we get taught we must pass, we must succeed. Rather than looking at everything as a learning goal, we're seeing things as achievement goals we must accomplish. And instead, if we reframe to think of things as learning goals, as this is going to help me, you know, I do this and it might not work, but I'm going to figure out what went wrong there and improve on the next iteration and keep improving ourselves constantly. Whole different thinking. And all of a sudden, we're not so balanced on the edge of happiness or miserable for abject failure with our self-esteem so it's thinking about that as well yeah if the school systems were changed oh it would be amazing but well it's, it's going to be really hard to shift work and the impact of this in a workplace if you're not dealing with the underlying causes which 
is really mm-hmm. the school system. And I'm not blaming the teachers who are there now or the education system there now, because actually a lot of it is inherited and it's been improved upon over generations. But we're really breeding people <laughs> to become miserable at work. Yeah, it's true. But the other thing is also people stuck on that grind just have so much going on in their lives. Stress actually physiologically does something to the body stress actually creates this tunnel vision it actually stops the big picture thinking so it makes it really really hard to look outside of your rut as as i've alluded to stress actually shuts down your whole thinking pathways to this narrow little tunnel vision i've got to get this done i've got to get this done i've got to get this done which makes it really 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 difficult to get out and think about that big picture So if we just build up enough awareness, we just had actually International Stress Awareness Week last week, and it's one week in the year, but if we keep the conversations going about awareness of all this, and and the more people are aware, the more they can say, actually, I recognize that. Okay, stop, breathe. Okay, let's try and reframe everything. It's going to just take more and more awareness, I think, for people to get that change working across companies, systems etc so where do we and start? hopefully into schools and hopefully into schools absolutely but where do you start we've been talking about carving out two hours a day but you're on a treadmill you're blinkered you definitely don't have time I mean that must be the one number one complaint people will make is I don't have time for mm-hmm. any of this this is nonsense I just need to pay my bills and retire happy <laughs> <laughs> Awareness is great when you're aware, but how do you become aware? I think that's the thing that is like a chicken and egg there almost, because when you're aware, you can't unlearn it and then you can take more personal responsibility. But before that, it's much easier to blame the system or blame the mortgage or blame the boss. Yeah, it's too easy to do that. I've given workshops on stress before. And one tip that I offer people is to, have little post-it notes right there in your field of vision to remind you. So when you've got time to step back and think, I don't have time to think about this, but then think about what might help you so you don't have to make time to think about it. So I have a couple of examples, just a little post-it note that says, how much difference will this make tomorrow or next year or in 10 years? The serenity prayer works for, for many people. Give me the serenity to accept things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That often works in a moment just to calm us down. Dan Pink, on one of his Pink casts, he had this great little quote that I wrote down because I like this one. He said, imagine that it's a test from the imaginary stoic gods. Right? Something's been set to try and upset us, and it's just a test. We're going to try and remain stoic through this stress. <laughs> He's very good, Dan Pink, actually. He's great. There's one more quote that actually might help people as well, because it'll lead to something that I, I'd like to, to mention. This, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this man's name, Hans Sale or Sile, but he says, it is not stress that kills us, but our reaction to it. And the reason this is so important is actually... Everyone goes on about how stress kills, stress kills, you get heart attack, stroke, and actually stress can affect all your entire body physiologically. It's amazing. It affects the gut microbiome. It affects your endocrine system, your hormones, every part of your body stress can affect. But 
there's this amazing research and actually a great TED talk, Kenny McGonigal. And she talks about how the effects of stress can be either harmful or helpful, depending on your mindset. So typically what happens in moments of stress, you know, we feel our pounding heart, we feel shortness of breath, our, our breathing is getting faster. And what happens in the body is our heart rate does increase, but at the same time, our blood vessels are constricting. And that's where the dangers to our health come in. Now, what we need to think about is that if we actually reframe things, we say the pounding heart is preparing me for action. The faster breathing is getting more oxygen to my brain. This is my body rising to the challenge. And then we're saying stress is actually a positive thing. It's going to help us cope with whatever this is that's ahead of us, this mountainous challenge. And what we find at the increased heart rate and that shortness of breath, all of that stuff is the exact same way our bodies react to excitement and joy and courage. So who's to say that this is actually a negative stress thing? Who's to say this isn't excitement and courage and us rising to the challenge? And what happens when people do these experiments they did, people who actually did this, this reframing, they still have the increased heart rate, but their blood vessels remained relaxed. No negative physiological effects. So that's something huge that we can try and make a difference. Okay, we've all got stress in our lives, but how do we see that stress? Yeah, and also there's different situations, isn't there? You know, so different situations will have different stressors or stresses to them. And there's a big difference, I guess, between preparing to deliver a speech, for example, or speaking in a meeting or whatever it might be, to encountering some form of danger where you have to prepare yourself for flight, perhaps, or <laughs> yeah. whatever. So there are different levels as well, I guess. And some require that seriousness, but others are certainly ones that we can work to shift in our own minds and reframe. Interesting, you mentioned the giving the speech thing. They did experiments with this. They got a bunch of people who had to stand up on a stage and give a random five-minute speech or whatever it was. and Half of the group, they gave no preparation, whatever, just, just go up and do it. The other half, they gave a preparation in terms of relaxing their mindset and thinking about doing this as a positive thing with stress reactions in their body. Judged by a third party who were blind to the two different preparations, the people who had done the preparation and the reframing came out as more positive, more confident and more convincing. So there's all sorts of knock-on effects as well from actually reframing and mm. getting yourself on a different playing field. Mm, absolutely. And I'm listening to you talking about all of this and I'm fascinated by what got you into pursuing happiness at first and writing this book with somebody else about how to have happiness. Well, I, oh, a long, long time ago, in another age, I actually started my career in the hospitality industry. And through there, I got into training, training the staff. And from there, I went into teaching hospitality management because actually I realized that, like with my doorman example, how do you make 
the the customers the guests happy but also how do you make the staff happy there's so much turnover in the hospitality industry it's just phenomenal people aren't happy in that industry and I thought well maybe maybe I can actually positively influence the next generation of hospitality stars and make a difference and make them love what they're doing and enjoy their lives which would in turn actually impact on the guest and the customer and all of that so I, I went into teaching hospitality management and then I thought, okay, I need to improve my teaching and motivating capabilities to have more of an impact on my students. So I took a course in psychology. I got fascinated by that. So I actually um, decided to learn more and, and ended up completing the degree in psychology and, and went on to do a PhD in psychology in social neuroscience. But then, of course, I was able to teach hospitality management as well as business and management and yeah, I added all of that to my repertoire and I still do some teaching now of, of those subjects to those people, which I absolutely love. But then I also I thought, well, I can bring this into the real world as well. So I started doing executive coaching of leaders and teams and trying to help the efficacy of teams by making them happier, by making them psychologically safe with each other and improving their well-being, reducing their stress. And really what I do is try and help them gain a greater sense of purpose and control over their lives and their workflow. And that really helps make a difference. I, I find, I feel, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're right about all of that. With a background in social neuroscience, I'm guessing neuroscience is part of that social neuroscience. So you understand how the brain works. And I yeah, think once we yeah. understand how our brain works and functions, it does give us a lot more autonomy or empowers us to take more responsibility for our own happiness. Yeah, absolutely. When we think about, okay, I behaved like this or I reacted like this, why did that happen? And you start thinking about this and you think, okay, well, how can I react differently in future? How can I improve this to make relationships better, to make things run smoother? to you know increase the positivity and the thing is we really bounce off each other social relationships are so important because if we're negative that rubs off on other people if we're positive that rubs off on other people and it makes such a difference and we are such social creatures that it makes such a difference to everything that we do yeah and wouldn't anyone rather work in a team of people where you actually felt like you were coming together and collaborating in a way that actually the sum of the whole is greater than the parts. That's what it's about. That's really what it's about. And often we are siloed or individual about what I need to get done today mm. and not what the organization needs us to get done on its behalf. And yeah. learning how to interact with each other reduces stress. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the biggest things about this is since we went, uh, thanks to COVID, we all went working from home and digital based. We don't have those little water cooler chats anymore in the office, right? We don't go and make a cup of tea and coffee and stand and have a five minute chat with someone who's also doing the same. And that has really, really put things back in terms of our connections, which then increases our stress. We need those social connections to counter our stress, as we talked about earlier, it makes a big, big difference. And so one thing I actually recommend people is when they start their Zoom conferences, don't just go straight into business. Start off with, hey, how was your weekend? Or what are you up to? Or get to know the person and build up those relationships. It's so important. It is so important. And yet I would imagine it is the thing that people 
put down to the bottom of their priority list always yeah Yeah. Yeah. or they'll say oh I'm not going to turn up for the first five minutes of that meeting because all they ever do is sit around and chat yes unfortunately there are people who do do that they're thinking I can do so much more with those five minutes and they don't realize the importance of of that part yeah and but I, I guess we will though I think this is going to force the issue Unfortunately, a lot of people are probably going to get ill or organizational performance is going to drop or whatever before we come out the other side. But I do think that there is going to be a backlash to all of this. Unfortunately, yeah, things always need to get worse before people realize, oh, we should be doing that instead and they can get better. Mm. Sad but true, yeah. Mm. But as an individual, we talked about the two hours a day that we can carve out for ourselves but I noticed you tweet a lot about nature so I would imagine that nature is something that brings you joy not just me but so many people there's so much research that shows how nature can positively influence us it can calm us it can lower our stress levels lower those cortisol levels in our bodies it's phenomenal the power nature has so yeah one of the things I love doing is going out for a walk the Japanese have this term it's translated as forest bathing and They actually say just to go out for a walk in the forest to disconnect from all that. This is where you absolutely do not take the mobile phone. (laughs) The the idea is to disconnect from all of that and actually just lose yourself in the beauty of nature. We don't all have the benefit of being able to go walk in a forest, of course, but staring out a window has really positive effects. Just looking out the window, if you can see anything, tree, even a single tree is beneficial, but they're finding the benefits of immersing yourself in nature is reduced stress, reduced fatigue, reduced blood pressure, all of these things. So even if you just take your eyes off the screen for five minutes every hour, just to look out in the distance, it relaxes your eye muscles, but it also relaxes you with all those things to be looking out of a window and and just seeing something other than the digital world. Now, they did some really, really fascinating research on the difference. There's this thing called biophilic design, where if you can't get out there, you can bring it into your home, right? Biophilic design is basically just incorporating nature into your interior design. You know, things like indoor plants, real or fake. You don't have to have a real plant. It can be a fake one if you don't have a green thumb. Home decor, you could think about your wallpaper, your curtains, just cushions or even just a poster works just to bring images of nature into your into your room. The sound of birds. Actually, if you Google bird, it, it's amazing. There's plenty of good bird song on, on the Internet. And just listening to the sound of birds can can induce that that relaxation. But they did some fascinating experiments with wood to do with the sight and the feel and the smell. So the sight of wood compared to white walls, the feel of wood compared to the feel of aluminium and plastic, which will have desk furniture, everything is tending to be made of these days. And the smell of wood also has the same effects. Like if you think about the sense of sandalwood or pine, and what they found is that all the wood things had those beneficial effects. People were much less stressed in those environments made such a difference but it's not just about green and wood blue works as well because some people love water the ocean people love beaches so whatever works for you whether it's green or blue it can go either way it's so fascinating because I'm looking around my office as you're speaking Sash and my desk is made of wood like proper wood I have my laptop on a stand that is made of wood beautiful wood I've got wooden shelves with plants. I've got pictures of the sea. 
and I'm sitting looking out a window at a sky and a tree. Houses too. But I have all of that in this like tiny little space and it makes all the difference. Sounds perfect. That's <laughs> absolutely ideal. I've actually started doing something else as well. I've started wearing more green and blue clothing. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. However, I read somewhere that happier people wear yellow. Yellow is a happiness color, as is orange. Those are very bright, happy colors. Yes. If you're feeling stressed, go for the blues and greens. If you're feeling depressed or sad, go for the yellows and oranges. Wow. And will it actually make a difference putting on different colored clothes? Yeah, it can. Absolutely. Colors make a huge, even the way people see you and interpret you. Colors have made a big difference. Think about brands, okay? When people are doing their corporate logos and their branding, they choose their colors very, very carefully according to all this research. Colors make such a difference to people sub subliminally. It's amazing. Wow, that is amazing because I'm just thinking winter time in this country. Well, first of all, as you were talking, I was thinking it's even more important at the moment to look outside and get outside during the day because we have so little daylight at the moment. But yeah. also we just wear black and gray in this country. Oh, yeah. No, try and wear color. It will really, it can make a difference. Yeah, wow. definitely. And are there a couple of things that people can do if we can't get outside or even look outside? I mean, some people are in cubicles. <laughs> yeah, cubicles. Unfortunately, there's not much scope for doing things there. You can put a little poster up, maybe a little pot, tiny pot plant, but it's really difficult. But if you're feeling super, super stressed, and this actually works for whether you're in a cubicle or not. There are a couple of little things you can do when you're super stressed and you just don't have time to go outside or away from your, your workstation. There are three great little grounding exercises you can do. So one is five things. So what you want to do is in a quiet space, just think about getting no interruptions. So if you can't leave your workstation, that's fine. But just put your out of office on for two seconds. You Change your presence setting to do not disturb or in a meeting put in a meeting that works really well and uh, just put your phone on silent and it's just going to take a couple of minutes that's it and think about five things that you can see so just look around you and just carefully observe five things look near look far as well because remember that thing about looking in the distance relaxes your eyes from this constantly looking at the screen then the next thing is four things that you can hear and again, think about things that you can hear in the distance. So you're actually focusing on trying to find different things. Three things you can feel. It might be the texture of a fabric, the, the feel of the seat, how hard or soft it is underneath you. Whatever it is, think about what you can feel. Maybe you're holding something in your hand. The next thing is two things that you can smell. And this could be, it might be someone's perfume or aftershave. It might be the smell of coffee. It might be the smell of someone's lunch, or it could be anything. Maybe even, you know, that particular scent that photocopiers give off? <laughs> That's got yes. a particular scent yeah. all of its own. Yeah. When you start noticing the smells of things, you can actually yeah. pick up a lot of different things. People don't normally pay a lot of attention to that. Yeah. And then finally, one thing you can taste. And again, this might be the coffee you've just had or the lunch you've just had. But if you haven't, it might be if it's first thing in the morning, maybe your toothpaste, you can still taste that. But if nothing at all, even the taste of your saliva can sometimes be different. You might have a slight metallic taste in your mouth, for example. 
So it's about just actually zoning everything out and focusing in and being mindful and observant. And it doesn't take long, five, four, three, two, one. And, and then it'll just, just take the edge off everything, ground you, and you can come back to what you were doing with a clearer mindset. Yeah, that's so simple. So that's Sorry. one. Yeah. A second super, super quick one. Maybe you're in the middle of a screaming match with your three-year-old, for example. <laughs> Not that you should be in screaming matches with three-year-olds, but you know what I mean. Like you're just at wit's end. You don't know what to do. Wiggle my toes. A friend of mine told me this once when I was super stressed and she was helping to ground me. She said, wiggle my toes. And you actually need to physically do this. Wiggle my toes to feel the ground so I feel grounded. And it just brings you out of the headspace of emotions and back down to the ground, which is solid. And that connection actually helps stabilize everything a little bit and mm. take the edge off. Mm. It's, it's quite powerful when you actually focus on it. And then a final one, a little exercise is box breathing. And probably many people have heard of this. Super useful to do box breathing, which is slowly breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and repeat it until you feel calm. That kind of breathing and do it on a daily basis can actually generally lower stress levels and maintain that. It really can help overall. But if you haven't done it before, you might want to sit down because you could get lightheaded. Top tip. Okay, no, uh, that's fair enough. <laughs> Until you get used to that and your body gets used to it. Yeah, but yeah. most of us, we don't breathe deep enough. We breathe up here, this shallow breathing, when we're constantly on the go, stress, stress, stress. And when we start breathing deeply, it's a lot of oxygen all of a sudden, a lot of flow that will make us lightheaded. Yeah, no, fair enough. Thank you for the warning. <laughs> <laughs> So we're actually out of time, believe it or not. And what I wow. want to ask, if somebody would like to know more, maybe buy your book or find out more about you and what you do, how can they connect with you? My book is available on Amazon. My website is there. And I'm on Twitter. I post a lot on Twitter. That's true. Yes. So I will put all of those details in the show notes so that if you're listening, you can just scroll down and connect further with Sash or Sashenka Milston. Sash, it's been just lovely chatting to you today. Thank you so much for your time. And I think this is a great time of year for people to reflect as well on what's making them happy. Oh, it's been such a pleasure being here, Susan. I really appreciate the time to talk about this stuff and try and share the knowledge. If we can keep the conversations going, it's going to just help more and more people. So thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.